The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. Page 869. Luke 10, 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him, to test, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the God your the I'm sorry, I'm nervous. <laughs> you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him, had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of God. What a privilege it is to be able to look at God's word together every week. I'm excited to look at it with you again even now. But let's ask for help as we uh, turn our ears to what Jesus has to say. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we acknowledge its authority and its truth, and uh, we thank you for the privilege, God, to hear your word, to think through it, to chew on it. Lord, we know that as we encounter this passage, uh, we're hearing from the very God of the universe who made us uh, and who, who desires to save us. And we thank you for that. Uh, give us the right attitude, Lord, before your word, and please help me to teach this faithfully in a way that's helpful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing right through our study in Luke's gospel. And today we get to look at a, a story that's probably pretty familiar. How many of you heard of the Good Samaritan before? Okay, you, you've heard of this. It's very familiar. Um, it's even made it into pop culture vernacular. You can still hear it sometimes. If somebody shows an extra amount of love or care for someone else, you might say, wow, they're really a good Samaritan. So even unchurched people, everybody kind of knows the phrase. And so you might think then that the purpose of the story is what? Well, we should all be nicer to one another and love one another when we're in need. Now, just as an aside, who is for that, by the way? Okay, that's good, okay. Anybody who's like, no, no, no. Well, okay, so we should be nicer, but if, if that's what we think the story is about, 
You look again and you realize, you know what, if that's all you get out of the story, you're totally missing the point. Totally missing the point. Well, how is this? Look at verse 25. Remember how Luke sets, up, sets this story up. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, and what's his big question? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What's the main issue on this man's mind? Eternal life. How to inherit it? And as we're gonna see, it won't come from you being loving enough. That's not how to receive eternal life. So there's five things I wanna understand with you from this story. I think there's five ideas we really wanna grab together. Number one, the stakes of the conversation, how high these stakes are. They're large. Again, Then second, I wanna see the standard for inheriting eternal life. The stakes and then the standard. What does it take to inherit eternal life? Third, the scope. The scope. The scope of what? The scope of love. So part of this conversation will be, well, if you want to inherit eternal life, need to be a cer- you need to be loving in a certain kind of way. Well, what does that look like? So we're going to see the scope of what love means. So the stakes, the standard, the scope. Then we're going to see the Samaritan, how everything is different in him. And then we're going to find the source of actually loving like this. So stakes, standard, scope, Samaritan, Source, if you're taking notes. Did you see how I had them all starting with the letter S? Are you proud of me? Okay. First of all, the stakes. Well, as we've seen it already, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? First of all, what does it mean that he's a lawyer? He's not a lawyer like for um, finances or one business to another. He is a religious lawyer, which means he is an expert in the Torah, in Hebrew law, he is a pro, he, he knows what's going on with Old Testament law, and he, he knows all the ins and outs, all the details. He's an authority. He's a teacher. He's an expert in the law. So he kind of knows the answer to his own question, as we're going to see. And part of his motive is, what's he want to do with Jesus? A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. So what does that mean? Well, many, many times, lawyers and Pharisees stand next to Jesus with their jaw dropped open because he is eating meals with prostitutes and tax collectors and Roman soldiers and all the people that would fit into that category of really bad people. And Jesus will fellowship with them. He will know them. He'll be kind to them. He'll have relationships with them. And so in the mind of the religious leaders then, they're assuming, well, Jesus, you don't care about the law. Because if you did, you would not have this kind of a connection with people who set the law on fire. They don't care about your law. They break your law. They hate your law. And so the, te- the, t- the lawyer seems to be coming to reveal that Jesus really doesn't love God's law. And if that's true, well, what does that mean for Jesus? He's disqualified, right? You don't need to listen to him. You don't need to follow him. He doesn't know or care about the law. So that the lawyer comes kind of thinking the law's on my side. It's me and the law against Jesus. And we're going to expose him and reveal him as someone who doesn't love the law. He wants to test Jesus in that way. 
What's the bigger issue behind this law question? In other words, uh, well, the main question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? My question now is, well, what does the law have to do with that? What does the law have to do with eternal life? Well, you, you probably have this sense even in your own conscience. What do you need to do to be good enough to go to heaven? What's in that phrase? What do you need to be? What do you need to do to be good enough? Good enough. So, you know, kind of that famous question. If you, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? How do you know? And people will usually answer with something like, I'm a what, folks? I'm a good person. I've, I've, and they'll give some sort of list. I've done these things. We know deep within our hearts right, that to get to eternal life, we have to achieve some sort of law, right? We know that. It almost comes natural. We know we have to achieve some sort of law. And so God's law then, especially from the perspective of this lawyer, you have to keep God's commands in order to inherit eternal life. And if you keep them, then you can inherit it. And if you don't keep them, then what? No eternal life. Instead, you get um, eternal judgment. You get the just wrath you deserve for dishonoring God's law and not loving him and not loving your neighbor. So you see what's going on here. And the stakes are high, aren't they? I mean, do you believe in something like eternal life? Do you believe that? Do you believe that's real? Imagine, imagine where death is not actually the end. It's not the end. And there is a, it's just a doorway into eternity. I mean, this life, right? Um, I just, I'm just cresting the 40 hill, and some of you are like, that's old. And others of you are like, uh, you, that's nothing, okay? But, but you crest that 40 hill, and you realize, you know, you get these imageries in Scripture, right? Life is like a breath there for a moment, and then it's gone. And that's me and you. It just comes so quickly. It, it goes so fast. The idea of eternal life, of living forever. And then the idea that there's a fork in the road on that. And that you can either have the bliss of seeing God's face and being known by him and being with his people in a renewed world where there's no pain or sorrow or corruption and there's just joy beyond our wildest dreams. You could go there and be there forever and ever, and it never ends, your deepest desires and longings all satisfied forever. Wow, you could go there. Or the horrid other side of what if you go and stand before a holy God and his verdict on you is just no. No, that was evil. That was wicked. Uh, you, need to, you have to get what you deserve now for denying me, for not loving others, and it's condemnation. Would you agree that there's no more important question than this? How do I inherit eternal life? Because no matter how great your life was in this life, if you don't get a good eternal life, who cares? On the other side, no matter how horrid and tough this life is for you, if you get to go to an eternal joy forever, hey, It'll be all right. This is a huge question. The stakes are high. They're high in eternal life somehow here. Jesus and the lawyer knows this. Has to do with keeping the law. And that's where we get into the standard. The standard. So the teacher says, 
or, or the lawyer says to Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, oh, don't you love Jesus? How does Jesus answer the guy's question? Verse 26, he answers with a question. I love that. How many times does Jesus do that? All the time. So people, put this in your pocket. Somebody gives you a big question, especially with an agenda on it, right? This lawyer's trying to test him. Jesus asks another question. Why does he do that? He's, he's drawing this guy out. He cares about this man. He's trying to open his heart to him. And he's landing in on common ground. Look what he says to him. Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Now, it's genius because the, the lawyer comes with the law, thinking it's me and the law against Jesus. And Jesus answers this question by appealing to the, the law. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And so the lawyer answers. What does he say? Verse 27, the two great commandments. You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. What do you think of the man's answer? That's legit. That's solid. That's biblically foundational. This is a, every religious Jew would know this. Deuteronomy 6.5, one of the most famous passages in the law. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. So what does, God look, what does love for God look like according to the law? It's just all-encompassing, isn't it? It's all-encompassing. With your core desires, you love God and you're satisfied in him. With your whole lifestyle, it's about God. You fear him, you wanna please him. Your actions, your energies, your hobbies, your strength, your, your body, your, your plans, your hope, your dreams, your intellect, your mind, it's all about loving God. And do you think the law is saying do that once or twice in your life? Because we're all like, I love God once like that. Do you, think the, do you think the command is do this occasionally when you muster up enough energy? No. What, what's, the, uh, what's the sense of when you ought to keep this command of loving God? Always. Always love God with everything. That's God's law. Always. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This also comes from the law. Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall what? Love your neighbor. How? As yourself. We don't take that phrase as yourself seriously enough. Sometimes people say, well, I need to be able to love myself in order to love my neighbor. Come on, you already love yourself. And here's how, here's how. What do you do when you're hungry? You, you adjust, okay? And, and when you need medical care, what kind of care do you look for? The very best you can possibly get. What are you always doing for yourself? You're caring for yourself. I'm not telling you not to do that, okay? But now plug it in like this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And how many of you are thinking, seriously? Seriously? I like how Tim Keller puts the heart of this command. Tim Keller says, to love your neighbor means to meet the needs of your neighbor with all the joy and the speed and the power with which you meet your own. It is to put your happiness inside their happiness. 
What's the law? How do you read it, Jesus says. And the teacher says, love God with everything and love your neighbor like, your, like you love yourself. And Jesus says, what does he say? That's right. That's right. And I like his phrase. What is it? Do this and you will what? You'll live. But now, uh, is anybody starting to feel uncomfortable? You want to inherit eternal life? Okay, you want to escape God's condemnation? No problem. Just love God with all you are every time. And love your neighbor like you love yourself every time. Do this and you will live. We start arguing inside ourselves. Do I do this? Have I done this? And maybe you're looking for moments, right? Are you looking for moments? Oh, I love somebody once. I remember I, I gave some cash to somebody out the window. or uh, I had a compassion kid for a couple years. Or, and you're thinking of the highlights, you know? I've, I've tried to love God before. But what are, we, what are we also missing as we're looking for the highlights? We're looking at all the rest of your normal life. And I just got to tell you up here, the one teaching this text, I have billions of times, I'm sure, when I have not loved God with everything in, my, in me, and I have not loved my neighbor as myself. Billions. I do it every day when I go home. I do it every day when I go to work. Have I ever kept this command? And then you get the itch. Wait, what, what does this mean? You hear Jesus' words, and it sounds Hold up, you just said do this and you will live? Is Jesus telling you that the way you'll inherit eternal life is that you keep his law perfectly? What if that's what he's saying? What if, what if that's it? Um, how many of us are going to get eternal life? And you start to feel the itch the lawyer is feeling. See, he, he came bringing the law against Jesus and Jesus just said, oh, let's look at the law and now the lawyer's... Look at verse 29. It's so important to this passage. But he, the lawyer, what's the next phrase? Desiring to justify himself. What does that mean? It means he's longing to somehow know or believe that he's kept the law. He's longing to know and believe that he's kept the law. Am I, am I made right? Am I vindicated? Am I validated? Will I get eternal life? I've got to justify myself. And then how does he do it? What's the question he asks to justify himself? Who is my neighbor? Okay, what does that have to do with it? Well, the second command was you must love your neighbor as yourself. And he's, he knows he hasn't kept that law. But maybe if I could just shrink down the category of neighbor, I could be like, well, I love those people pretty good. And this is what always happens with self-righteousness. We try to justify ourselves with a law, but because God's law is too high and too hard, we shrink down his law. And we make it more keepable so that we can pretend that we've done it. And that gives us an excuse to not love other people. Happens all the time. 
happens all the time in self-righteous religion. Because you see, you can say, well, um, all those people that I don't care about and don't know and don't help and don't, won't touch and won't associate it with, they, they didn't count as my neighbor. My neighbors, like the, my close friends, the other people I do Bible law with, or um, I love them okay, so maybe I've kept it. He's trying to justify himself. And he's, where's he looking for his justification? Where's he looking? He's looking at himself. He's looking at himself. He's trying to make it, so he shrinks the law down so he can pretend he can keep it. And Jesus is so kind to him. Well, what could Jesus say to him at this point? What could he say? He could have said a lot of things. He could have just landed on him hard, right? You're a big, fat fraud. <laughs> you, know, you know this isn't, you know you don't keep this. He, he could have done so many things. Instead, he says, hey, can I tell you a little story? Can I tell you a story? And here's the story. And now's where we see the scope of what love is supposed to look like. So what are the stakes? Eternal life. What's the standard? Keeping the law. What's the scope of love? So he's asking, well, who's my neighbor? Who do I really have to love so I can pretend I've kept the law, so I can get eternal life? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So it uh, fits very well into the context. You really would go down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's several thousand feet in elevation, and it happens in like 15 or so miles. So you're going down, and people who are there, I'd love to go to Israel someday, say the road is just twisty, turny, precipices, rocky, cliffs. It's a it's an exciting road to drive, evidently. So you'd go down this road, and because of its um, out, out off the beaten path, well, it is a beaten path, but because of its placement, uh, the rockiness, the caves, there were robbers there often to where, even in the Bible and in other literature, it's called like the, the road of blood. It's a dangerous road to walk. And so it hits this man. He falls among robbers. What do they do? They strip him. So he's either naked or nearly naked, and they beat him. And the Greek there is they kept beating him. And then they left him, and they leave him half dead. So he's, he's in critical condition. What's his only hope? Someone else's mercy. His only hope is someone else's mercy. How much, is, how much does this man have left in what he can do for himself? No hope. Well, good news, right? Good news because a priest and a Levite are coming. And if anyone would help, it would be these guys because they know God's law. They know it's to love God with all you are, and they know it's to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, good news, right? It's a pastor and a social justice worker coming down the road. We're gonna be okay. Sadly, no. By chance, verse 31, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw the man, what does he do? He, he, gets, he passes by on the other side, and the Greek emphasis there is he, he avoids him with all effort. Same, a, a Levite, he knows the law. No, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Do they know they're supposed to love their neighbor, a priest and a Levite? Yes, they've been reciting these commands. They know it. Do they love their neighbor in this story? No, why? Enter into the story. Enter into the story. If it was their mom, would they have helped? 
Probably, okay. If it's their best buddy, would they have helped? Probably. Why didn't they help? And just entering into the story, we're kind of imagining, right? Just imagine with me. Well, one could be the timing wasn't right. It's by chance, right? I'm on my way home. Um, I'm going home from work. I'm, I'm not ready for this, right? I mean, you don't have to love your neighbor as yourself when you're not ready, right? Right? Or it's dangerous, okay? There's thieves all the time, so they could have a, a setup here, and you go help, and what do they do while you're helping? They, they, they beat you up and take your stuff, too. It's a dangerous road. You don't need to love your neighbor when it's dangerous, right? Or it's too sacrificial. I mean, this guy, it's not like he needs 10 bucks. He's, he needs everything. He's He's bleeding. He's in critical condition. He's naked. He needs clothes. I mean, you're, you're on a trip. Uh, where's he going to get clothes? Where's he going to get food and sustenance right now? It's going to have to be your food and sustenance. How's he going to get to somewhere safe? You're going to have to take him. Uh, what if you can't afford that right now? What if you don't have time for, you, you don't have to love someone when it's too sacrificial, right? They don't count as your neighbor when it's the timing's not right or when it's too dangerous or when it's too sacrificial, Right? Does he count as your neighbor? Or what about when it's your enemy? Jesus brings in a word here. The good what? Samaritan. And if you're a Jewish man laying there dead and half naked, you thought you had hope when the priest and Levite came by, but then when you see a Samaritan, you know it's all over. Because we don't count as neighbors, okay? Jews did not think Samaritans had the right to exist, there is so much racial and ethnic divide and hatred between the two. When the Pharisees later want to insult Jesus, you know what they call him. You're a Samaritan and you have a demon. So that's as low as they could get. It's as low as they could get to call him a Samaritan. There's huge racial and ethnic religious enmity. This is my enemy. Now certainly, given the fact that the timings aren't right, it's dangerous and too sacrificial, you don't have to love your enemy, do you? Do you see all their excuses? Do they sound familiar to you at all? Do you ever make excuses for why you don't need to love people? Sacrificially? I came up with these because they're mine. <laughs> they're the ones I use. But the Samaritan has something the other guys didn't have. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, what did he have? He had compassion. Friends, what's compassion? What is that? Somehow you're, you're not just looking at your own situation anymore. You're not looking how dangerous it is for you. You're not looking how it's sacrificial it is for you or how the timing's not right for you or how it's your enemy. All of a sudden you're seeing through somebody else's eyes and you're imagining yourself laying naked in a ditch, half dead. And you feel sorrow about that and pain about that. And it moves you to be like, I, I got to help meet this need. Compassion and others focus. He has compassion. And what he does is really amazing. What does he do in the face of danger? He ignores the danger. What it, how, it, it says in the text that he binds up his wounds where did he get things to bind up the man's wounds and cover him? 
He's ripping up his own clothes. Unless he's like packing a big first aid kit, which I doubt it, first century, right? <laughs> he's, he's ripping up his clothes to bandage him. Gives him oil and wine, so oil would help moisten the wound. Wine would help disinfect it. Where does he get, what's he doing with oil and wine? Well, what do you drink in the ancient world on a trip? Your wine, and what do you do with the oil? It's medicine for you, or you cook, it cooks your food. Whose resources is, is he using to restore the men? It's his own resources, sets him on his own animal, brings him to an inn. This is not the Holiday Inn. Back then, inns were kind of shady places, but it's the best we can get, and look what he does. He takes care of him, verse 35. The next day, okay, what was he doing all night long? He was taking care of this man. Does he know this man? Does this man deserve his love? He's taking care of him all night long. I assume he was on the trip for some reason. He wasn't just like, oh, I'm feeling bored. Let's go down the blood road and see what we can find. No, he's, he's got something to do, somewhere to be. What does he do with his plans? Everything's on hold. So that I can love this man that I don't even know. Verse 35, the next day he takes out two denarii and gives it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Two denarii, that means he paid probably, given the information we have, he paid for this man to stay at the inn for at least a month. A month. So it's very generous. Moreover, he puts himself at risk because he puts himself in the power of the innkeeper. You take care of him. When I come back, I'll pay whatever it is. That's a lot of trust. Here's my credit card. Take care of him. It's risky. It's generous. I'll repay you when I come back. And what does he do? How does the Samaritan handle the uh, racial enmity? In this story, there's a Samaritan and this guy's probably a Jew. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. What does he do with the racial enmity? Does it stop him at all? doesn't stop him at all from showing love. And so you see the scope of what love, according to the law, looks like. Always love your neighbor as yourself, which means, despite the danger, it means um, even when it's your own resources, and it gets in the way of your schedule, and even when it's your enemy who hates you, this is what love looks like. Now back it up. What was the teacher, what was the question the lawyer's asking about? How do I get what? Eternal life. Those are the stakes of this conversation. And the standard is what? Keep the law. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now the scope of neighbor love is incredible. It's sacrificial, it's compassionate, it's risky, it's committed. And look at Jesus' question. (laughs) Jesus just asked another question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Well, we know the answer to the question, don't we? And the lawyer does too. He says, I suppose, the man who showed him mercy. Did you hear what he couldn't even bring himself to say though? He couldn't say the Samaritan. 
He couldn't say it. Why? Samaritans? It's a curse word. Do you see what Jesus has done? Jesus has shown the scope of love, but not only that, he's flipped the question. The man wanted to justify himself and said, who is my neighbor, right? That's synonymous with who deserves my love. And Jesus has flipped it to now say, who is the neighbor? So Jesus is saying to him, your love for others is not about them according to the law. It's about who you are. Are you a loving person? Are you a good neighbor? He's flipped the question. Wow. Do any of you feel confident in the light of Jesus' words? Because look what he says in verse, what is it, 28. Uh, No, sorry, 37. He said, uh, you know, which one was the neighbor, 37? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, what? You go and do likewise. And so how many of you are like, oh, I finally understand. Easy. Gravy. I'll just love all my neighbors as myself, risk in a way that's risky, sacrificial, generous, and with my own resources every time and in every way. No, no problem. This passage is not about Christians being more loving. It's not what this is about. This passage is given to somebody who thinks they're good enough according to the law to inherit eternal life. And this story is not meant to be like, oh, that's so heartwarming. It makes me wanna be more loving. This story is meant to crush you. It's meant to crush you. Because if that lawyer is honest, if we could see what's going through his head, what is going through his head? I have never loved like that. I have never loved like that. I am standing here knowing I don't even want to love like that. I don't want to. There's people I don't care about. There's, I don't want to give them my resources. I can't, I can't love like this. I can't, even if I started now and got A plus till the end, all the other times I haven't loved like this. Do you see what's happening when you get a clear view of God's law? It starts talking to you. (laughs) That was Luke 10, chapter, verse 1, wasn't it? (laughs) Yes, Lord, you know. (laughs) When you see God's law for what it is, um, it breaks you down. Is Jesus being kind to this guy or mean to this guy? He's being kind. The man has this castle built on, I keep the law and I'm going to inherit eternal life. And as long as he's in that castle, he's never gonna see eternal life because he's never kept the law. And so Jesus is using this to break down his dreams of, why would you go to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. No, you're not. I've kept the law. No, you haven't. And it's interesting to notice, the guy just flips through um, loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and himself, like that was obvious. 
You know, the two commandments were love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes, oh, I love God, of course. But who's my neighbor? You just, you just skip the main one. And we're all sitting here going, really? Really? And then we're looking at ourselves. Look at Romans 3.20. Look at Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, what? No human will be what? Justified in his sight, since through the law comes, what do you see when you really look at the law? Knowledge of sin. Knowledge of sin. We all look at the Samaritan story and go, yeah, that's beautiful and that's awesome and that's love. And then as we really stare at it for what it is, we go, I don't think I've ever loved my neighbor based on that standard. And maybe there were a couple highlights where I really went for it with this or that situation. Hey, praise God, good job. But your whole life, every time, your enemy, and that shows you the validity of your claim of loving God himself. John says, if you don't love your neighbor, it shows you don't know or love God. How should the lawyer have responded? He should have dropped on his knees and said, help me. I don't don't know what to do. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. What am I going to do? I'll never get eternal life. I can't do this. I mean, if if you think of the standard of, you know, there's this abyss we have to cross and it's God's perfect law, and it's, you know, it's a mile long, and I could run and jump. I'm a pastor, and maybe I jump like 15 whole feet and fall to my doom. And maybe somebody else, and they're really a wicked sinner, and they run, and they jump two whole feet, and they fall to their doom. And then there's, there's you, and you're saintly, and you run and you jump, and you jump like 25 feet. And guess where we all are as we measure ourselves by the law? In our doom. I can't do it. Jesus uses this word justify at a later point in Luke. He does not want you to try to justify yourself by how you've kept the law. He tells a story in Luke 18 of two people praying in the temple, and one is a Pharisee, pretty good religious resume, and the other is a tax collector, bad resume, blown up the law. And he gives the illustration of them both praying. And the Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I'm so religious and that I'm not like that tax collector. And let me show you how the tax collector prayed and Jesus' response to it. Luke 18, 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying what? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What does he come to God with? Sin, that's it. And what does he plead to God for? Have mercy, I can't keep your law. Have mercy. And amazingly, shockingly, Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man, which one? the one begging for mercy, this man went down to his house, what? Justified. Rather than the other. The religious guy looking to his goodness 
to inherit eternal life was not justified. And the, the other guy with the broken life who just said, have mercy on me, Jesus says, he's good. He's justified, which means the source of justification did not come from himself. It was alien. It was outside. And so we ask, Jesus, I, I can't keep the law. How do I get, get it like I have? Where can I look to for my justification? I want to inherit eternal life. Do you want to inherit eternal life? Where do I look? Well, the story shows you that you are as hopeless as the beaten man on the side of the road. What's your only hope? Just like in that story. Mercy. And the law won't even cross the street for you. <laughs> Salvation by keeping the law won't even come your way. No. You're in need of somebody that you've made an enemy to come and have mercy on you at his own expense. Who is it, folks? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You are saved by good works. You do have to have the standard of keeping the law. It's just not you doing the works. It's not you keeping the standard. Jesus came, and you know, you know the word that's used for the emotional life of Christ maybe more than any other? Compassion. He had compassion on, on me, just like the Samaritan had compassion on the man in the ditch. And he came and took on flesh and walked among us, and he lived a perfect life. There's one person who's always kept the law, Jesus. He alone has always loved his Father, heart, soul, mind, and strength, every time, every way. He alone has always loved his neighbor as himself. And if you remember what we looked at last week, where Jesus is giving the standing of childhood to sinners like us so that we can have his Father as our Father. Seriously, he's giving us everything that he has. What did Jesus do with the danger of saving people like you and me? It was rather dangerous, wasn't it? What did it take? A cross. A cross. And there, Jesus took, for all who repent of their sins and trust in him, he took their eternal condemnation for them. All the punishment you know in your soul that you deserve, the guilt, the shame you have there, the need to justify yourself, he took all of it for you in your place on the cross and it is gone. Look at Romans 3, verse 23. Where are you gonna look to for justification? Where are you going to look to to be right with God? Where are you going to get this standing that you've kept the law and you, you'll inherit eternal life? Romans 3, 23. For all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We haven't loved him. We haven't loved our neighbor. Verse 24. And we are justified. Let's pause there. Declared righteous, even though in ourselves we are not. Declared innocent by God himself. Are justified by his what? Grace, undeserved love lavished on you. I don't deserve it. Yeah, I know, that's what it is. 
undeserved love lavished on you. It's like the, you were in a ditch and you didn't deserve the help and your enemy just said, I'm going to take care of you. All, all of my a gift. Oh, think of the difference between the burden of you better keep the law or I won't love you. You better keep the law or you won't have eternal life. You better do it right. And some of you, it still gnaws on you. Every, it gnaws on me more than I want to admit. And is it really, am I really good enough? Have I really done it enough? Uh, and I'm justifying myself. Well, I tried there and I did that. And you feel the burden and the pain. And God in the gospel says, I want to give you justification. The standing of total righteousness, total forgiveness. You're loved, your mind. By my grace, I'm the one who does it. I'm the one who does it, not you, as a gift. And what do you like about gifts? They're free. That's what I like about gifts. They're free. That's why the gospel is good news. You want to inherit eternal life? Well, you have to have the standard of having kept the law. And so many people out there in the world are like, well, I'm a good person. Oh, honey, you haven't looked at the law. You have not looked at the law. And so Jesus' story is to help this man actually look at the law so he'll finally go, oh, <laughs> I'm not gonna get eternal life. Where am I gonna get justification? And Jesus is saying, the New Testament is saying, God's word is saying, I'm saying here, our church is saying, we should be saying this to others. You can find your justification for free if you'll trust Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. We sang it in that song. My sin is nailed to the cross. My soul is healed by the scars. The weight of guilt and shame and sin, I bear no more. And what's the next line? Praise the Lord. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by what, folks? Faith. Trust it. Who's the Samaritan? Jesus. All right, and then the source of love. Listen, should I send you out of here and be like, hey, just trust Jesus, he lived and died for you, and don't sweat loving other people? Is that what we're supposed to get? Of course not. Of course not. As we trust him, the law gets written on our hearts. And really, this is the magic button, okay? If you go out and try to love so that you can keep a law, you won't actually be loving anybody else. You'll be loving yourself because you're trying to make it to eternal life. But once that's settled for you, I have eternal life because I am loved by God in Jesus Christ. It's finished. Sin is vanquished. Hallelujah. I'm good. I'm loved. I'm safe. Now you can get your eyes off your navel and look and see need and feel compassion that is informed and sourced by God's compassion for you. You can start to be the neighbor. You can risk because there's nothing you have to risk. You're loved by Jesus Christ. You can give because you're not worried about because he's always giving to you. You can love your enemy because the enemy that had judgment against you has shown you mercy. You're, you're transformed to be more of the neighbor. Do you see? His love and compassion is the source of ours. So what do we do this with, with this text? Number one, get crushed by the law. Okay, go ahead and see who you're not. I'm not a good neighbor in and of myself. Two, be justified through faith in the one who has loved you, Jesus Christ. 
and in the power of his love, number three, grow to be a neighbor like he has been to you. And guess what? As you trust in him, as you grow in love for others, guess what? You're going to inherit eternal life. Are you ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you wanna give eternal life to sinners. We confess that we are sinners. We haven't loved you or others in the way that you deserve. Have mercy on us, O oh God. Have mercy. And we thank you that you have had mercy. We thank you for the love of Jesus for us in the gospel and that all our sin is taken care of. We are made righteous in you as we repent of our sins and turn ourselves to you. Lord, fill us with your love this morning. Save us from our sin. And as we go from here, Lord, safe in your love, we pray we'd be filled with compassion and love for others and we would meet their needs at our cost knowing we can because you have met all of our needs at your cost. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.